Welcome to Scotch Radio. This is Frida Morrison, and this is the programme that gings into the mysterious wanderings of the world and Scots culture. We celebrate the Scots language and all its glars and glicks, and there's no connection. But let me introduce our trusty <laughs> soon softer, the money that steers us through the wiggly soon waves, enter Mr. Richie Wellner. Aye, aye. How are you doing, Frida? <laughs> I'm grand. Okay, rumour has it, right? Rumour has it. We're out of winter. I do hope so. Ha! Mind we had the beast for the east this time last year? Uh, unreal. unreal. Richie, I do Richie. Uh-huh. Oh, aye. Did I cast any clutes till my be out? Till my be out? My be out. Fist that then. It's near the month of May. Abdi thinks it's the month oh, of May. Aye, it's no, it's the May flower. Oh. Which is the hawthorn, as we are here. Oh, I see. And your clutes, <laughs> as we had a long conversation <laughs> about the minty it's near the clutes you have under the sink. No, it's your cloth, your, your, your clays, your, your vests. Cl- I didn't make that. Aye. Terrible, like eh? liberty bodices. A good kind of dual, dual kind of work in Scots word there. <laughs> Did you came for that liberty bodices, eh? I've no idea, no. Do you <laughs> You see, we we had a vest, and then on top of the vest we uh-huh. put our liberty bodice. Go on then. And it was like a fluffier vest. Oh, right, I see. <laughs> I've no idea why they called them liberty bodices. Oh. Well, no, I'm never going to need liberty. See the intellectual discussions you get I'll in this programme. It's an educational show, folks. We'll leave the intellectual discussions to other folks, Richie, I think. We'll just oh, right. speak about clutes under the sink and things. Clutes under the sink. In this programme, Scottish Book Trust plans, Carlin Exhibition, and planting tea. Aye, we're a waff for a cuppy as we listen to Imar with a ramblin' set.
Gently Clears Your Tubes. That's the MR from their new CD, Avalanche. Yeah, listen to Scots Radio. This is Frida Morrison, and we me as our soon sorter, Richie Werner. Hey! No, just sit back and relax. Enjoy what we have to offer here on Scots Radio. We will guide you through the cultural ongangs, the books, sport, music, and tea planting. Ah, in this programme, diverse, Richie. We're oh, diverse. Yes. We are Better diverse. Believe it. Oh, what? We begin in Edinburgh with the Scottish Book Trust Director of Programmes, Rosemary Ward. And after their brilliant book week and the rebel theme last year, it's being planned this year. Rosemary? This year, we're working in collaboration with Moat Bray, Peter Pan Moat Bray, and um, Tom Pow, who has initiated the Year of Conversation. And uh, so we're marketing a lot of our events, you know, to promote the Year of Conversation and encourage people, you know, to be talking about conversations. Uh, The first thing that's coming up probably is our Bookbug conference in March. Probably what I should say before I come on to the conference is that in very early in the new year, in January, we launched our Bookbug app which it's phenomenal, Frida. It really is. I mean, in the first week, we had 25,000 downloads. It was at number one, you know, in the kind of downlist charts, you know, for children's apps. Um, And I think that the real joy of it is it's an initial app that we can grow and build and we will continue to to sort of um, develop and add things to it. So it has a representation of Gaelic and Scots and English songs and rhymes. It also roots um, uh, parents. It, it gives them access to um, information on where their nearest book bug sessions are, and and I just think it's been it's a phenomenal resource. I would encourage all parents with children under the age of five, you know, to make sure that they've got it mm-hmm. downloaded on their phones or on their apps. It doesn't replace books. It's not about replacing books. It's about enhancing the engagement between parents and their children, and just bringing all these songs and rhymes alive. So we're following that up now, hot on the heels of the Bookbug um, launch. We have the, the Bookbug conference, annual conference, and we're going to be delivering that this year in collaboration with the National Health Scotland. The theme for, for this year's um, conference is play. So everything to do with play, how children we develop children's language through play, um, the importance of engagement with your children. And as I say... You know, really exciting times, really, really busy. So what about the date for that one? The date for that one is actually the 19th of March. Mm-hmm. Also in March, we're going to be launching the um, public campaign. As you'll recall, the last time we were chatting, it was just in the lead up to Book Week Scotland and we were talking about the Rebel book. And our public campaign this year has to launch now. We have to go, you know, put out our call to action. On the 27th of March, we'll be opening up and launching our public public campaign for this year's Book Week Scotland which is, theme, which is Blether. Um, so a good Scots word. Like We're looking forward to um, reading, receiving people's uh, submissions on just what a good blether does for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it ties in with the year of conversation. It's giving people freedom. And the year of Indigenous languages. Indigenous languages as well, yes. Well, we've just developed our language strategy for Book Trust as well, where we're making sure, you know, that we are um, highlighting the importance of us promoting Scots and, and Gaelic, as well as other community languages as well, because a lot of our programmes now are very much geared, you know, to encouraging our audiences and our, our participants, you know, to be using their own community languages. 
As well as that, again in March, everything's happening in March now, we'll be launching a, a new initiative, new to the Scottish Book Trust, as a result of funding from Scottish Government. Um, we're part of a, a working group who are looking at Scots language publications, and we're just about to launch a new Scots language publication grant to encourage Scottish-based publishers uh, who either have... Uh, an idea, a, a, a desire for, to publish a book but want a little bit of additional financial support to do that or if it may well be that it's a book that's been in print, is no longer in print and there's a perceived demand for it, you know, they can actually apply for a reprint um, grant so that they can actually reprint the book. That's a great idea. But this is nothing to do with writers, this is publishers. This is publishers now, this is publishers. But interestingly enough, in the course of, of, of discussions, you know, with our early years team, we're looking at things like you know, early years books, and I should be aware, you know, a lot of the really, really well-known Julia Donaldson's and, and books like The Gruffalo and, and The Gruffalo's Child have all been translated into Scots now. And so many of those same books have been translated into Gaelic, and, and we're really seeing the impact that that's having, so we want to replicate that in Scots so as well. it's working. It is working, definitely working. And we're seeing more and more, I'm sorry going back to the book bug, but again, it's, it's just, it's amazing to see in communities where Scots language is is actually being used as the medium as well to deliver book bug sessions so they're quite unselfconsciously doing Scots rhymes and songs and you know reading Scots stories so it's important that we build on Actually, that. that really resonates with you. You're a Gaelic speaker, I'm a Scots speaker but again we've launched the Doric Film Festival up in the North East and a lot of the community groups are really enjoying the blether. That is the the key to the whole thing. Absolutely. I think it's a phenomenal. I, I, I think you've won a watch if you've immediately engaged with, with the community because my experience in Gaelic is that our first port of call tends to be schools because we think, right, we've got, a, we've got a, an active community there. And I'm not, you know, sort of negating that in any way. I think it's really important to get young people involved in all new initiatives. But I'm very well aware that schools have a huge burgeoning curriculum and it's yet another layer that we put on to them. But if you've managed to actually pique the interest of your community groups and they're actually really interested in this film well, festival, I think it's brilliant. It's a phenomenal uh, reaction. Yep. We're getting a lot of community groups coming forward. Fantastic. I think to do with this idea, the stories, they've got the stories. Well, that's another thing we're involved in here at the Scottish Book Trust. We've got a digital storytelling project, which is basically... Um, its principal aim is to try to engage individuals and and community groups who are not digitally in, you know sort of active they're, they're, they wouldn't normally pick up a computer or, a, or, a, or an iPad but we're actually using it to help them to tell their stories and it's been an absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. experience you know where they they sit and they talk and they tell their stories they record their stories video them they put some animations to them as well. It's proving absolutely phenomenal in terms of public engagement, but also the principal um, purpose of it was to get them using digital mm-hmm. equipment. And what we're finding now, although um, the areas we're working in, the repository for the, the, the equipment is the libraries, we've got more and more community groups coming to the library saying, we'd like to participate yeah. in this. So that is we're seeing the community same groups are getting more powerful, they're becoming more, more confident. Absolutely. And, and I think to give them that voice and to give them that outlet um, and... 
what we tend to do, and obviously you'll be doing the same with your film festival, is we have a showcase at the end of it, yep. you know, and show the, the, the films that and the stories that people have, have created. And some of them were just, they're, they're heart-wrenching. And, you know, and, and it's, it's an outlet for a lot of people because they didn't perhaps feel that those stories were, were valuable. valuable. No, exactly. Lizzie, again. Absolutely, wouldn't want it any other way. Falcher, I guess I believe. Thanks, Rosemary. <laughs> Rosemary Ward, Director of Programmes at the Scottish Book Trust. And in honour of the work Rosemary does, here's a, a Gaelic song for the magical soundtrack through the online digital game The Bard's Tale that we heard performed live at this year's Celtic Connections in Glasgow. Oh, it was special. Singers and musicians all on the stage performing under the big screen as the digital game progressed. Produced by Jed Grimes. This is Kim Carney singing Ocean Tambaka Daor. Pipes by Ali Hutton. Kim Carney and musicians from the CD The Bard's Tale. Now, the concert at the Glasgow Concert Hall was stunning. And as I said at the time, The Bard's Tale has created a superb new platform for traditional music and musicians. Mayor later, with Fiona Hunter singing a Scots song for the tale. You're listening to Scots Radio. This is Freedom Morrison. We meet is our soon sorter, Richie Werner. Hey, how you doing? Richie. Have you ever tried curling? Near uh, your hair, I put on curling on ice. <laughs> Neither of them. No. It's like, yeah, laugh. I've always wanted to go on an ice rink. Yeah. Always wanted to go skating. I've always wanted to go curling. Ooh. I've always wanted to do I've never done it. Ooh. I love curling. Ooh. Love it. I hope I hadn't started something. Oh, no, no. Uh, Just uh, need to get on the rink. 
But the sport of curling goes back hindies for centuries. Oh, aye. And an exhibition card, Curling Made in Scotland, featuring some of the sport's ancient history, has been opened to the public at the Thitba Museum in Hampden Park, Glasgow. It's been organised by the Scottish Curling Trust, and to find out mayor about the sport and the exhibition, Alistair Heather joined the Trust's chairperson, Kay Gibb, at Curly Aberdeen. So I'm here in Curl Aberdeen, the state-of-the-art facility on Langstracht, and I'm here with Kay Gibb of the Scottish Curling Trust. So Kay, firstly, tell us about what's happening here today. Well, today we've got a group of young curlers from Myland Primary School who are having their first experience on the ice and they're definitely having a great time. There is a really healthy uh, game in Scotland the new and a really healthy culture around curling, isn't there? Oh, very much so, yes. We've got a lot of good junior curlers uh, and a very good young squad of talented curlers who are competing at international level against other teams from around the world. And uh, curling was actually invented in Scotland, was it? That's debatable, but yes, we as Scots, we definitely think so. It was invented, it was first recorded um, by the abbots of Paisley way back in the 1700s when it was recorded that a match, a challenge match, was held amongst the monks. And it stayed in the central belt for a while, eh? Yes, that's because that's where the ponds were and the logistics of travelling uh, allowed people because you had to carry your stones with you to curl on outdoor curling and the central belt was easier to get around because the horse and cart was the mode of transport and it wasn't really until the railways became much more prominent in Scotland and many places had actual stations develop because of curling and the, the stations actually stopped at the lochs or the ponds so that the curlers could get off to curl their matches against other people. There's any of the uh, stations in the northeast, I believe. Yes, Aboyne is the, is the one that comes to mind because if you think of the, the old lo- the Aboyne line is the Aberdeen to Deeside line brought into being because of Queen Victoria. And yes, the, the station is over at the loch and not at the village. And that was for the curlers to get off with their heavy stains? That was so they could get off to do their curling. Great. And there's actually a really interesting article. We have a great historian in Bob Cowan who has his own history blog and has, writes loads and loads of articles. And he has done a lot of research work and it was him that brought that to my attention. So I believe Bob, alongside the Scottish Curling Trust, have put together an exhibition down in Glasgow. Tell us a bit about that. Well, that's come about because the late David Smith gifted us his collection of curling memorabilia in curling stones, paintings, trophies, books and many, many more artefacts. And when we put that together with the Scottish Curling Trust's own memorabilia, that gave us the largest collection in the world. And we wanted to commemorate this gift from David Smith by putting on an exhibition Uh, The exhibition is taking place in Hampden Park within the Football Museum, the Scottish Football Museum, from the 20th of February through till the end of June. The long-term goals of the Scottish Curling Trust is to have its own museum. Golf now has one at St Andrews and we would like to do something similar. So by dipping our toe into the water with this football exhibition within the Football Museum is going to see if we can take it further. What stories would you like folk to ken about curling? Well, at the exhibition, there's going to be 
a fantastic display of over 40 curling stones from around Scotland with different types of granite. We're also going to depict how the clothing has changed over the eras from outdoor curling to indoor curling and how the equipment, the old brooms that were used right through to the modern technology of the high-tech brushes used at international and at Olympic level. There's also going to be a section on disability curling and how it's developed and also on women's curling because it wasn't until more recent times that the women curled with the men. It was very much the women or the men that curled. One of the things I really like about curling is the Ailsa Craig connection. Could you explain that for us? Well, Ailsa Craig is a small island off the Ayrshire coast, um, very prominent, and that is where the granite comes in for making of the stones, along with a big company in Mochlin who have the rights to use the granite from there to make all the curling stones now in the modern era. And they are developed through the World Curling Federation who then take the stones to all the international competitions around the globe. So that's every international uh, competition you'll see on the telly are playing with wee bits of uh, Argyle Island. Absolutely. That's fascinating. Okay, good luck with the exhibition and uh, thanks very much for chatting to us. Thank you very much. Look at that now. Kay Gibb the Scottish Curling Trust and that exhibition, Curling Made in Scotland, is on at the Fitbit Museum, Hamden Park, Glasgow, until the 16th of June. And you can see an extended video version of that session with Kay Gibb, speaking to Ali Heather, on our website on Facebook page as well, www.scotsradio.com. It's gone really, really well, really well received. And best wishes for the exhibition, and thank you to Kay. Really popular sport now, Richie. Oh, aye. Oh, aye. It's something we're good at. Aye. Scots are good at curling. Aye. Look at Eve Muirhead, her oh, team oh, in the absolutely. Olympics. What an ambassador for the that sport. That was a fantastic performance, oh. that. Right. Far are we. This is a track for the Bard's Tale again. The music oh, for the online game. Song written by the producer, Jed Grimes. This is Fiona Hunter singing, Working Hands. The hole in the plaster will let in the north wind the gap in the thatch will let in the rain The tear in my cloak will let in the shiver The break in my heart will let in the pain So patch up the walls, my sons and my daughters And layer the straw, my neighbours and fairies Fetch needle and thread to reweave the pattern, but I was in need of a hard working hand. The break in the fence will let in the foxes, the free of the rope will let slip the bear, the flaw in the chain will let drop the drawbridge. The crack in my courage will set free despair So mend all your fences, my sons and my daughters And keep tight the rope, my neighbours and friends For the world and its folk will always be free Hole in the wall will let in the north wind. 
the gap in the thatch will end in the rain. When the weave comes on the ravel, there's no use in pitying. We must sing as we fix and mend it again. So sing me a song, my sons and my daughters. Sing me a song as we work the cold land for the world and its folk. Will I was be fitting? Fiona Hunter singing Working Hands through the music CD or the online game The Bard's Tale. And it's a cracking CD. Thoroughly recommend it. Richie, Aye. I'm thinking about curling again, okay? Uh-huh. And golf. Fitzaldus, Fitzaldus sport between oh, curling I and golf. I can't. They've been both been played in Scotland for centuries. Aye. I was thinking about, somebody said that was, golf was uh, first mentioned in the 1500s. Was that right? You think well. about Golf goes back quite far in Leith. Right. To my mind, I think golf was first played in the Leith links uh, way, way back, unless it was like the modern rules were perhaps formed at links or something, so I don't can exactly. But I have found that huh? there was a reported dispute in 1554 between the cordoners, that's the leather workers of mm-hmm. the Cannon Gate, and the cordoners and golf ball makers of North Leith. Are you reading that online? Aye. Okay. Right. <laughs> but was there any another date that we, that we were talking about near that long ago? But was it 1744? Well, was yes, 1744. There was a plaque during the links, a kennex of what passed at Money Ah, did you mention it? And yeah. it says, Historical home of the Honourable Company of Edinburgh's golfers. The game was played over a five-hole course, each hole being over 400 yards long. In 1744, the first official rules were drawn up for a tournament on Leith Links. And these rules... 13 in all formed the basis for the modern game of golf as we can it. But Richie, 1744, right? Bernie Prince Charlie lands in 1745, Culloden is 1746. That's two years. I mean, and folk doing the era playing golf, and Bernie Prince Charlie is romping the boot trying to raise the army and fechting. And they're just playing golf. They're just having a round of golf. (laughs) We've had our fechting. No, No, we're just playing golf. We're trying to get our handicaps done. <laughs> Can I be bothered with fiction? Just imagine. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Okay. Well, if anyone can leave things, it's not like a massive place. No. You know? Mm. So it's interesting, you know? We are minds of, of information, maybe useless information. So do you think but... golf's older than Carlin? Aye. Yeah. It must be. Ah, Ken. How are we thinking blooming stains doing, doing ice? That's aye. Like, can, eh? Right. Onward. I'll go on then. Into another bit of our history. The tales of the Scottish tea planters and the seafaring swashbuckling adventures that the sailors on the, the China Tea Run uh-huh. had to endure are legend. Oh, aye. As are the tales of the, the competition between the ships. Just to bring us our cup of tea. And mine, Richie, yon ship, the Thermopylae, uh-huh. built in Aberdeen, aye. beat the Cutty Sark on the China Tea Run. Oh, my goodness. We'll find out more about the China Tea Run in the minty. Aye. So, your tea planting and growing tea runs through Scottish history. Aye. But until now, I thought it took place in China or India. Well, indeed. Until now. Aye. Tea planting and growing is happening in our Scotland. Never. Our Scotland. Where cuppies are beginning to be the new Scottish crop. And more wise than in. Now, Richard Ross is the chair of the newly formed group Tea Scotland. And I joined him at his tea plantation up in the Perthshire Hills a few miles north of Dunkeld, in the wee village of Dalgais. 
So we've just walked into uh, the tea plantation at, here at Dalgai's Tea. It's a, it's a cold and frosty day with a wee dusting of snow on the ground. Um, and we're looking at a field which is deer fenced all round and will ultimately contain the best part of a thousand tea trees. At the moment we've got rather less than that but it's all a process and we're, uh, we're gradually getting there. Okay, they're, they're about what, a foot and a half big? They're about a foot and a half big. These ones are two or three years old. Um, you really need to wait until tea plants are roughly about five years old before they're starting to give you a reasonable amount of leaf to pick and turn into tea. So these ones are just getting into their stride and getting used to the Scottish conditions. And They're, 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 they're protected a wee bit by uh, some shelter netting and they've plonked into... Uh, little tubes, triangle tubes. But you're going to be asked this question other time, I can tell. We are in Highland Perthshire. It was minus 10 here last night. Yes. How did it survive, Richard? Well, it, it's a question of getting the right plants in the first place. Um, without going into too much botanical detail, there's basically two different types of tea plant. So there's a it's all a, f- a type of camellia, so it's called Camellia sinensis. What's a camellia? Yes, it's of the, of the camellia family. I can never so that. similar kind of conditions that you would would want for um, for the kind of camellias you might have in your garden. So they like quite acid soil. They um, they like well drained conditions, and they survive pretty well in the winter. But if you get the right kind, there are, there are two kinds of tea. One that really originates from India and one that originates from China. The Indian one is not so hardy, but the Chinese one can cope with conditions down to about minus 15 quite comfortably. They wouldn't want that all the time, but uh, they can cope with it quite comfortably. So these are these are the Chinese ones that we've got here. Uh-huh. And um, but I'll t- if you think about the, some of the classic tea-growing regions in the world, like Darjeeling and Assam and uh, in in Sri Lanka, you know, you're you're talking about quite high altitude. Sometimes you're talking about a lot of cloud cover, mm-hmm. very heavy rainfall, all those sort of conditions that would, if you were away from home, would remind you of of home in Scotland. I think, so we can really try and replicate some of those conditions. Well, I'm if, looking across there, and mm. that is Highland Perthshire at its best, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's just a a light distance now. That's We've it. got the A9. I'm watching traffic going up and up and down the line. We're quite a bit away from it, but it's still incredible that you can be growing oh. tea in this part of Scotland or any part of Scotland, I suppose. I know, I know. The um, if you if you looked online, uh-huh. look at Darjeeling and look at the, what happened around Christmas time, just this past Christmas. They had snow in Darjeeling. It was the first time they'd had snow in about ten years, but they do get it relatively regularly, and there was lots of the. Indian press went crazy about it because it was effectively a white Christmas in Darjeeling. And there was this, you know, it looked, the pictures you were seeing were not that different from what you're seeing here today in, in, in Dalgais. How many folk have you got in the association? Well, in Tea Scotland, the group that I'm chairman of, we've got around 15 members. They're scattered out in Scotland? Aye, absolutely. We've got a, a member in Orkney and we've got members in Galloway. Yeah. So the full spread, absolutely. And, um, Beyond our immediate membership, we're also we're also talking to another group, which is uh, has about nine members, and I know of at least five more. So we're talking 25, 30 people in Scotland who are growing tea at some sort of level. This is your granddad's farm. What was your granddad's farm? My granddad bought the bought the farm about 50 years ago. Yes, and um, 
funnily enough, my other grandfather, um, who I never knew because he was quite elderly um, before I was born, and he himself grew up in Forfar, which is, as the crow flies from here, about 30 miles away, probably. Right. He was the youngest of 13 on a farm. As was a norm at that time. Uh, uh, and he wasn't going to be getting much work. There wasn't going to be much for him on the farm. So um, he went to Salon, as was, uh, almost 100 years ago, and uh, worked as a tea planter as there. As a tea planter? Yes, that's right. Wow. So my mother was actually born in Salon, as it was known then, Sri Lanka. Uh-huh. So I grew up with all these stories about tea and tea planting. So that's where it comes yes. And, um, you know, 100 years ago, almost to the day, when he left Forfar to go halfway around the world right. to work in tea, I was putting these plants in the ground. I'm not really sure what he'd have made of it, but uh, he'd probably have had some a few words for me on the plan. That, that is an amusing story. I'm just <laughs> going to wander across oh. here and just have a wee, a wee look at because you've got them in different stages. These look further on. Well, you can pick the leaf right through the growing season. So you'll start to get what's called the first flush uh, in the spring. Now, our spring probably doesn't really get going till into May mm-hmm. in terms of actually having leaf to pick. So we, you can get the, what's called this first flush, which is the, the first wee shoots of leaf and the, the young leaves behind those. And you'll pick them and that'll be your your finest tips that you'll then go into your tea. Green or black? I'm often asked the question, what kind of tea plants have you got? Um, And the the truth is that the plants are all the same. It's what you do in the processing that determines whether it's a green tea or a black tea Mm -hmm. or an oolong tea. So you start by picking the leaf, then you'll wither the leaf, and then you might roll the leaf, and you'll do all sorts of different stages to take it to the point where it's either a green tea or a black tea or an oolong tea and that you'll get very different flavours in the finished tea just through that processing phases. Right, now you've got your green hooses around the back of the... That's right. Can we, here, well, we look in there. Aye, you'll okay. see more plants there. Okay. Right. Right. This is your, your greenhouse. So fits happening in here, Richard? Well, you are now in my kind of nursery area, so we've got a... A, uh, a greenhouse here with, uh, well, two greenhouses, I'll actually. Come in inside. Yeah, come inside. It's a little bit warmer. Not much. <laughs> so between the two greenhouses here, we've probably got about 700 plants. Uh-huh. So these are all the plants that I, I lifted back out the ground and uh, repotted, and I'm really trying to bring them on here. So this is my, this is my wee nursery. So they're looking quite healthy they're here. They're really looking healthy. I, I would imagine that some of them would have been frosted, a bit brune, but nothing. No, I mean, the uh, the soil in the pots is rock Solid. hard there, but um, they're looking fine. The leaves all look healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get that wee bit of extra temperature in here. So I've had f- these flowering in the, in the autumn. So you get wee flowers coming. They've got quite a pretty little white oh, flower with a yellow centre. You don't do anything with the, the flowers, with. You can dry them a bit like you would... Um, I don't know, chamomile flowers or something like that and, uh-huh. and blend them back into a tea. So you get a nice pretty uh, flower, dried flower in your tea. But the on the opposite side, you'd not really, if you're managing your tea plantation properly, you shouldn't really be getting too much flowering because you're when you prune yeah. them and pick them, you're really trying to no. restrict that. You're on to the next bit. How high do you let them grow? Because can the plants grow high if you left them? In the wild, in their original habitat, these are trees. So if you, if I did nothing, if I didn't prune them, didn't pick them, 
they would be maybe 30 feet high trees. Wow. Yeah. So in their natural habitat, which is in the forests of southern China, mm -hmm. you will see these trees growing in the forests. And they grow underneath other trees. So you'll have the big tall trees in the forest and you'll have these ones underneath, which maybe grow to 30 something feet. And, um, you know, traditionally those, those leaves were picked by the people of that area mm. and used in medicine and in cooking and in, in, in for just chewing mm. the leaf. So there, there's a very, very long tradition of, of using tea long before it was ever commercially produced. But there's another add-on you, you mentioned earlier on. You are actually doing tea tours or tea presentations. Yes, that's right. Well, I think a lot of the a lot of the growers we realise that we're we're never going to be like the the rolling hills of of Sri Lanka. We're not going to. It's not going to be a huge scale process. We're all quite kind of small boutique growers, so we will get some revenue from our tea, but we're also looking at making something from. The plantation as well so I think tea tourism is something we're really looking at at the moment and uh, there's a lot of interest in that yeah. people are really interested in uh, having experiences and there's only so many distilleries you can go and visit in a day <laughs> so why not come to a tea plantation and get a wee yeah. tour okay last question have you actually had a harvest have you actually had a cup of tea from your leaves I have had a cup of tea from my leaves yes a very small one and a very carefully brewed one because I didn't want to waste it <laughs> But it's still at very much experimental level. But yeah. I, lo I look forward to maybe a couple of years' time when uh, we'll be able to share a, a full packet. So I'll come back in a couple of years' time. We'll have a cup of tea. Absolutely. Very much so. It might be a wee bit warmer by that time as well. Well, exactly. Come back in the summer and we'll, we'll, you'll see it in its full beauty. <laughs> oh, Richard, thank you for this. This has been an absolute amazing experience. Good. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, There's even more here. Richard Ross, chair of the, the newly formed Tea Scotland. And Richie? Aye. I've ordered 50 tea plants. I'm going to hear a go at it as oh, well. Oh, you have no. Have you got um, your own wee plantation? I've got my wee plantation oh, plant. Oh, that's exciting. Aye. 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 And just to recap on that race between the Thermopylae and the Cutty Sark, Richie, uh -huh. the China Tea Run, it was 1872. Huh? I just looked it up. 1872. Should we mention that the Cutty Sark lost its rudder? The Cutty Sark lost its rudder in a storm at the Cape of Good Hope. Aye. Uh, and they had to make fabricate a new one on board, which put them seven days after the Thermopylae. But they were a good, a good four days in front or something. Mm, see, uh, there, is there you go. Well, that's what happens. Controversial. Would it have won? That's what happens. Sure, it's all about bringing that first harvest back, isn't it? It's about bringing the so, first harvest back. Yeah. Eighteen seventy-two. Right. This is Claire Hastings with the Bothy Lads. For that all feel lads, the both feel lads, can they get what they're seeking? They'll pack a guest and look gang and enlist and leave the lassies greeting. When I was a new but sweet sixteen, we beauty just in blooming. Little, little did I can, and ninety-nine be greeting. For that all feel lads, the both feel lads, can they get what they're seeking? They'll pack a guest and look gang and enlist. And leave the lassies greeting For the blue boy lads are Gabriel lads But they're false and deceiving For they'll tack on, they'll gang a war And leave the lassies greeting For the all-feel lads, the buffy lads Can they get what they're seeking? They'll pack a guest and they'll gang and enlist And leave the lassies 
If I had kind what I take in and tain my mother's bedding, I wanna be sitting by your fireside crying, Hush above my bare Hush above, for I'm your man. The Lord kens was your daddy. I'll take it, Ken, and I'll be away. Oh, the young lads in the gloaming. We beauty just in booming Little, little did I care At nineteen I'd be greeting For that awful lads, the buffy lads Can they get what they're seeking? They'll pack a kiss and a gang and a list And leave the lassies Claire Hastings with the Bothy Lads. And a four of mine, congratulations to Hector Riddle for winning the title of Champion of Champions at this year's Bothy Ballot competition in Elgin. And of course, congratulations to other team for getting there through the other heats. There's a video of Hector on our Scots Radio website again at www.scotsradio.com. So, Richie. Aye. We're just about to do I know this edition. Oh, we're no, are we? Are we ready with our cheery buys? Oh, only to say cheery buy. Kettle, kettle's built, ready for kettle's a fly built. cup. Time oh. for a brew. In this edition, Richie Werner has been himself. I have. And have been awful like freedom of. You have been. I have been <laughs> Keep you to the car. Keep the wind at your back. Drink plenty hot tea. Dinner hang a boot. And mine a boot. May cast in clutes. Mayflower, mine. Or the Mayflower zoot. Hawthorne. We finish with a track for Horo and their new album, Card Hex. For Richie and myself, bye, bye. new.